This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. Sitting here getting ready to uh, get up and speak, my thoughts were, why am I here? And uh, a lot of thoughts crossed my mind. Um, when I was younger, much younger, I wondered if anybody would ever invite me to speak. Uh, Now that I'm at this stage of life and uh, much to do uh, about my wife's health, uh, I now get the opportunity to turn down speaking invitations. Uh, I don't know if that means anything, but it seems like maybe that's what you do when you're young and what you do when you get older. Uh, And when Stephen contacted me and asked me to do this, I had a lot of great reservations about being away, particularly from my wife. But um, I was motivated by two things. One, uh, as already been indicated, longtime friendship with Brian Bunn, so the uh, opportunity and honor to be at his graduation and speak uh, was something that was a strong pull. And then also, uh, Brian has shared many of his experiences at being here and heard a lot about uh, Tim and others here that are involved Uh, in Clearnote and in this uh, college and thought this is a great opportunity uh, to also meet these people. So uh, that's why why I'm here. There's another reason, I guess, that would be a motivation that I've had for many years. As Tim has indicated, uh, I counsel pastors. And um, I'm I'm not a pastor. I've never been a pastor. Grew up in a pastor's home. And I think that that's what Uh, ultimately set my heart to be interested in ministering to pastors. Uh, I know other ministries that do minister to pastors, and uh, I think, from best I can judge, I've probably counseled more pastors from across America than anyone. And so I'm very keenly aware of what ministry is like from the standpoint of listening to men and their wives talk about their difficulties, talk about their struggles, uh, seen their great failures. And so whenever I get a chance or over the past few years have had an opportunity to speak to pastors, I always want to do that. Um, because what I found in the process of counseling, particularly in those situations where there has been great failure, uh, the tragedy is it could have been prevented. So I want you to know that as I share from God's word this evening, uh, what I'm sharing is something that comes from many years of counseling experience, being a pastor's kid, uh, and, and all the men that I've seen that I thought over and over again, you know, if they just knew something when they left seminary, when they left training, maybe they wouldn't have to come see me for counseling. Uh, and so uh, just to be here and have that opportunity is, is a, a great, great privilege. The men here tonight who are graduating, uh, having been through graduate school, uh, I always think it's a great accomplishment. But my question to the men who are graduating and others of you who who may even already be in ministry, I think the real question is not are you ready academically, are you ready theologically, but are are you ready to be in ministry? 
Are you personally ready to be in ministry? And, and I say that also in light of those who are already in the ministry, I would say that's not a question you ask when you graduate from seminary, but I think it's a question almost you could ask every day. Am I ready for today to be in the ministry today and the situations that I'm going to be dealing with in my ministry to the people of God? Am I ready to be in this ministry today? So it's a question you must ask constantly. A lot of people know the statistics and a lot of people know information about pastors and there's a lot of studies and whatnot that have been made of pastors, but I came across a recent one, 1,050 pastors, reformed pastors, evangelical pastors, and every pastor said they had a colleague or a seminary friend who had left their ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. That's been my experience. Every pastor knows a pastor. That's what that's saying, of course, is the problem is very, very prevalent. Out of that 1,050 pastors, each one of them had a person they knew who had a moral failure. So there's something that's very serious. There's very, something very important again, that needs to be accomplished daily in our hearts and lives uh, if we're going to really engage in this ministry. Over the years, here and there, a few letters, a few phone calls, a few emails, people have written to me and they've said, Harry, I want to do what you do. Can you share with me uh, your business plan or can you share with me how to get started? And before I talk to the person, before I email the person, my first inclination is to say, don't even start. Don't do it. Go sell shoes. And, and, and kind of in the back of my mind, it's almost like if, if they come back after I say, go sell shoes, you know, that's about maybe their best occupation you could have. <laughs> if they come back, maybe they're the person who really needs to consider consider ministry. I was having breakfast with a guy who's had been in ministry. He's since passed away, but I was having breakfast with him somewhere in Kansas a, years, a few years ago. And he said, he said, Harry, is it strange that I really feel called of God to deal with some of the difficult situations that you deal with? Um, and particularly, he was referring to the issues of sexual sin, which is the biggest issue, the biggest problem that our ministry deals with, but a lot of marital issues, a lot of other problems that, again, develop in ministry. But he was specifically asking, is it a dumb idea, is it a crazy idea that I would feel called to deal with such horrible moral failures and sexual sin? And I, I didn't hesitate, as opposed to some of those other emails and letters and phone calls, you know, go sell shoes. I, I said to this man, I said, Randy, I don't know anybody who's more qualified than you. See, Randy dove into a swimming pool as a young man and broke his neck. And he was paralyzed from the neck down. 
Sitting eating breakfast with him, he could barely get the spoon up into his mouth. But I know that he's gone through great suffering, great adversities in his life. And I thought, you know, you're really prepared. So you take all the academic training, all the things you could go through for preparation for ministry. I have this theory that uh, the preparation has a lot to do with the things that we deal with in life, struggles that even come in ministry. I read something recently online, a quote I want to give you from Solomon Stoddard. He ministered in a church in Northampton, Massachusetts for over 50 years. He was succeeded by his grandson, Jonathan Edwards. And he said this, faithful ministers ought to take encouragement that they shall have Christ's presence. Ministers are in danger of being discouraged. Their work is heavy and attended with a great deal of difficulty. And their spirits are ready to faint sometimes under a sense of their own weakness, want of understanding, and grace for the work. Sometimes it's because of the experience of unsuccessfulness. They have taken great deal, a great deal of pains and little comes of it. Sins that they reprove are not reformed. Sinners are not converted. Many remain senseless and hard-hearted. But the minister's heart should not sink under this burden. Seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. No one was more aware of the difficulties of ministry, I believe, than the Apostle Paul. I have literally drawn a level of satisfaction knowing that Paul really went through it. Going through hard times in my own life, it was always encouraging to go back to Paul and say, what did he really go through? What really did he have to deal with? So in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is what I want to focus on tonight, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, how does he encourage people as a man who went through tremendous difficulties? Because he knew that difficulties were great enough that there was a real possibility that one would lose heart. So he says it two times in this chapter. He starts out the chapter saying, do not lose heart. And later on, he again repeats the idea, do not lose heart. So in 16 verses, he repeats the very, very important concept, do not lose heart. And, and I want to suggest that I think what Paul was saying is that in this ministry, spiritual weariness is a common problem. This ministry is a challenge to one's spiritual life. 
So I want to encourage you. Do my little part, in a sense, to the graduates to prepare them. And so my key thought tonight in looking at this chapter is that I think by understanding the distinct realities of ministry and understanding it in weakness, your spiritual life can remain strong. Understanding the distinct realities of this ministry in weakness, your spiritual life can remain strong. He outlines three, I believe, three distinct realities that'll be the points of my sermon. This ministry is by the mercy of God. This treasure is in jars of clay. This affliction is preparing us for glory. Those are the three realities, distinct realities of this this ministry. The first distinction then is this ministry is by the mercy of God. Verse 1, therefore we have this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. And what I found out in interacting with pastors, particularly in the counseling office, um, is that you can't tell a book by its cover. That's something we all say or something I've heard all of my life. And, and I put it this way, you can't tell a minister by his success. You know, it'd be great if I could stand up here and say, you know, everybody that really, really had a serious problem in ministry and particularly fell into a, some sort of moral failure was also just not very successful in ministry. But the opposite is true. The people I counsel are gifted and what we would call successful in ministry, in some cases large churches, if that's what we measure success by. So you can't tell a minister by his success. I mean, we know this almost instinctively, we know this in the culture. We know that there were good cops and bad cops. We know that there are ethical doctors and unethical doctors. If you don't know that, I can tell you that the profession I counsel most are pastors. The second most common profession I counsel are doctors, physicians. I know a lot about physicians, as much maybe as I know about pastors. And of course, they're very similar. They're both on a pedestal. There are good doctors and bad doctors. There are honest politicians. There are corrupt politicians. There are legal businesses. There are illegal businesses. So what I'm trying to say is don't expect perfection. You're going to see all kinds of things in the church of Jesus Christ and certainly in the ministry. Where there is good effective ministry there is also a sinner a man a woman a pastor's wife whatever who is still a sinner just like you just like me and I think amongst professionals and particularly amongst pastors 
where that services, as I've seen it most frequently, is in what I would call corrupt ambitions. And, you know, I'd say to particularly the graduates, you say, you know, I really understand this, Harry. I think I've really got this nailed down. And, and I would just say, I'm sure you do, but I want to say, again, it's every day you have to think about this and focus on the fact, who am I, what's really going on, and what is this ministry? And, and why am I here? Because it's easy, it's easy to slip into wrong ambitions. And the call to this ministry, and, and I believe it's a very sacred call, the call to this ministry does not provide immunity from those ambitions. If anything, it only increases the risk to have your ambitions become corrupted. Corrupt ambitions are often motivated by a willingness to do anything to reach the goal of success. I've counseled many men. I would say that that was a big part of their ambition. So pray that in this ministry, that your focal point in ministry, your energy is, is not towards personal ambition or what I would call corrupt, corrupt ambition. This ministry is a specific ministry. And so Paul is saying here, if you look at the text, he says, we cannot use trickery for any kind of financial gain. He said some people corrupt the message of God. Seems unbelievable. Others are very self-commending and still others actually obscure the gospel. It's not a very nice list. But remember, these are people in ministry in Paul's day. That one word, and I will keep emphasizing it, this ministry is saying that this is something very specific. It identifies, the word this identifies some specific thing. So this ministry is a specific ministry. It's, it's not just any ministry. And it's not your ministry. It's this ministry. I, I would encourage, I, I hear pastors talk about this. I heard my dad say this all of his life. He always talked about my ministry, my ministry, my ministry. I have a real aversion to that. I guess maybe because of my dad, I don't know. And then seeing things in counseling. I, I really would encourage you each and every one of you who engages in any kind of ministry, anywhere, anytime, to drop the phrase, my ministry. In this ministry, Paul says, you renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. You refuse to practice cunning. You refuse to tamper with God's word. You don't proclaim yourself. You proclaim Christ. You are servants to those you minister to for Jesus' sake. This ministry, so clearly in this verse, I think it's one of the most amazing phrases in this passage. This ministry is by the mercy of God. It, 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 nothing perhaps is more important than to grab that and have that deeply implanted in our hearts that this ministry 
that anyone has is by the mercy of God. In other words, the obvious, only God has granted anyone the privilege of being in ministry. It's obvious, but again, from my experience in counseling, pastors need to be constantly reminded that God is the one who has granted privilege, the privilege of this ministry. And the danger in earning degrees, and I've earned a few, is you can begin to think that you're good or that you're qualified. You can succeed in ministry and also begin to think, wow, I'm really good. I'm really qualified. You know, you look at Paul, and I think one way you could put it is he would have never been selected pastor of the year. Not Paul. I mean, look at this, look at this guy's background. Blasphemer, persecutor, violently aggressive, yet he was called to God's service. And I think if you look at people in ministry, look at yourself, look at me, we don't deserve to be here. We do not deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be standing up here and speaking tonight. And no one who preaches deserves to be there. I'm a mess, as someone said. I'm a mess, you're a mess. You know, that's, that's the real problem here. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. So the call to service is, is a great honor, but you, you didn't earn it, I didn't earn it. And you didn't get here in spite of the hard work of graduate school. You didn't get here by your own efforts. Not to this ministry. You might graduate because you write the papers, you take the exams and do all the assignments. That's a lot of effort. But that doesn't get you to this ministry. God has called us to his service in ministry just like he calls us to salvation by his mercy. It's a tremendous comparison and parallel that salvation is by the mercy of God and ministry is by the mercy of God. And and I hope that each and every one of you has, has a sense of your own salvation in such a way that it's there by the mercy of God. I have this by the mercy of God. That just a few thoughts in pondering that reality it should be humbling. It should stir us with a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving because we have this salvation by the mercy of God. And in the very same way, ministry comes by the mercy of God. So I would encourage anyone in ministry to always be surprised that you're in the ministry. How did I get here? What am I doing here? Well, you're there by the mercy, by the mercy of God. At the same time, Paul says, this ministry is your primary source of encouragement. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, if you go back to Job, which is a long, long time ago, I think I read somewhere, It's the first really book of the Bible. 
If it's not, don't be concerned about that. But it's an old book. It's an old in human history. Which means that way, way back, long, long time ago, people thought that if you have real serious difficulties in your life, there's only one explanation. God is not happy with you. That's what Job's friends thought. So you take that idea that goes way back and is still prevalent today. It's not surprising that some people who think that if you have difficulty in ministry, it raises the question of one's legitimacy as a minister. Let me tell you, in ministry, difficulties come with the territory. Discouragement is a real possibility. That's why Paul says, do not lose heart. Two times, again, in this chapter. Because in this ministry, you can lose heart. But there's also encouragement. It's almost like two contradicting statements or two contradicting realities. The reality is, having this ministry, you can easily lose your courage. That's one statement, that's one reality. In fact, having this ministry is why you don't lose courage. It's almost like a contradiction. Because we have this ministry, by the mercy of God. When you think you deserve something because you've earned it, I think when things really get tough and start to fall apart, the natural, the natural inclination is to think, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in ministry. So here's how it really works. If you think, I deserve to be in ministry, and things go wrong, whatever that entails, you will think, I don't deserve to be in ministry. If you think, I don't deserve to be in ministry, then you're in a place where you can think more correctly, actually, I do deserve to be in ministry. It's the opposite of what you would think. That's the point that Paul is making here. It's a subtle point, but it's a brilliant point. The difficulties prove you belong here rather than the other way around. So hope and encouragement is in the call itself, not because you are called, but because of who has called you. Not because you're special, but God is special. He has showed you mercy in calling the likes of you and the likes of me. That's just mind-boggling. So by understanding again these distinct realities of this ministry in weakness, your spiritual life can remain strong. So the second distinct reality is this treasure is in jars of clay. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. From my experience in working with those in ministry, 
and what I read and what I hear in other places, it seems like the holy grail of ministry is relevance. A lot of people believe you have to be relevant. I was looking on the internet and came across this recent blog that gave five suggestions for pastors on how to be relevant. So I'm kind of a sarcasm. So let me give these to you. Number one, get a tattoo and or piercing. Number two, increase your movie to Bible references in your sermon. Number three, and this just shows how irrelevant I am, sip shade-growing coffee from a mason jar. I don't even know what shade-growing coffee is. I guess it's coffee that you grow in the shade. So I, I kind of like being irrelevant, I guess. And number four, give your church a name that could also work for a snowboard company. Guy, I, I'm sorry, I should have had the guy's name. I mean, this is, this is brilliant. <laughs> and then number five, talk about a story you heard on NPR. Again, I'm so irrelevant, I don't even know what NPR is. I had to Google it. <laughs> National Public Radio. Oh, yeah, I guess I heard of that. <laughs> we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, the word treasure here is very much like the idea of ministry in verse 1. So, number one under this point, this mini- in, in this ministry, ministers are not special. They're not special. It's a bit redundant, but I'm just kind of following through what Paul is saying here, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Basically says the same thing. The treasure, the message, the ministry has a lot of value. You don't. You're expendable. The treasure has a lot of value because, as Paul says, in Christ are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's not talking about me. He's not talking about you. He's talking about the ministry, the message. This ministry of the gospel presents the most profound truth the world has ever heard. What does that make you? What does that make me? A clay pot. Studying for this sermon, I ran across the idea that apparently what clay pots were in Paul's day, they were what was used to transport human waste and garbage. I often like to tell pastors, or I may even make it as a comment, you've come to believe your own bio. You should never believe your own bio. You know, obviously from what Tim said, I've written a couple of books and publishers, you know, want a bio, they put it on the cover. Don't believe the bio. Don't believe your bio. Don't believe anybody else's bio. It's just what publishers put on there to sell the book, you know. But don't start believing it. You're a clay pot. In entering this ministry, you're just a clay pot. And really, as the graduates enter ministry, maybe in a more full capacity or in a different capacity, 
But in entering this ministry, you're just another clay pot, as someone said, in a long line of clay pots. So everybody who's gone before you is a clay pot. Now you're the new clay pot, and there'll be some more clay pots coming after you. You're just, in other words, in other words, you're just an ordinary guy, cheap, replaceable, and virtually without value. And, 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 and the congregation ought to know that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's really easy to stay up on the pedestal, not just the platform. And again, that's not where we want to be. So they may call you pastor. After tonight, you can add some extra letters behind your name. Maybe you'll end up with a fancy title. But I always like to point out that if you're married, your wife and your kids know you're a clay pot. Believe them. Don't believe the congregation. Don't believe the people you counsel. Don't believe the people you minister to. See, my wife knows who I am. I was sitting in a restaurant years ago in Colorado Springs, and this couple I had counseled wanted, were coming through town. They wanted to take my wife and I out to dinner as a way of thanking, thanking me for what they said saved their marriage. And we're sitting in the restaurant looking at the menus and this husband starts to express his gratitude and say to my wife, we really just think, the, I don't know what they said, it's not important, but you know, just saying we're so appreciative, his counseling saved our marriage, blah, blah, blah. And my wife's sitting there starting to chuckle Now, years ago, that would have really bothered me. You know, I I would have said, Rosemary, he's right. (laughs) But I think I've learned something. And so I explained to the gentleman who was saying this, I said, you've got to understand, my wife does not know that man. She's never met him. My wife was very, very wise years ago when I was a new counselor, I I thought I would use my new counseling skills. I mean, you know, if you're a counselor and you got a few struggles in your marriage, you're fortunate, dear, you're married to an expert. (laughs) So I started using my skills, you know, And, and I didn't get very far before she said, I am not your counselee. I'm your wife and you are never going to be my counselor. I was like, whoa. I'm glad she set the stage correctly that early years of our marriage. So don't be enamored with your skills, your cleverness, your importance, your teaching, or the success of your program. God chose you for this ministry for a reason. He wanted to show off his glory in a clay pot. We make a big mistake of thinking power, influence, and effectiveness are in the human messenger. No, it's in the message of the gospel. In this ministry, number two, show off your adversities. This is is the opposite of what people do. I, I often wonder if there are missionaries, and I counsel a lot of missionaries as well, if there are missionaries who 
write honest prayer letters. Like, have you ever, and, and if you have, I, I want to know this. If you've said, I got a prayer letter from a missionary and they said, you know, we're on the first term and, and we, I, we don't think we'll ever be able to master this language. The culture is absolutely ridiculous and, and we can't stand living here. We haven't seen one convert in four years. Please continue to pray and support our ministry. <laughs> I, I would like to train missionaries to write prayer letters, but I don't think they would take my advice. It's not about me, it's about the message of the gospel. In this ministry, show off your adversities. Paul's adversities, he was afflicted. We know some of what that entailed. He was perplexed. He was persecuted. He was struck down. Notice, and you won't find it anywhere in scripture, I don't believe, he was not putting on a positive face. He was not developing a good image he was not bulletproof. His apostle Paul gave us so much of the New Testament, but he was not bulletproof. Rather, when afflicted, don't let it crush you. When perplexed, don't be driven to despair. When persecuted, know you are not forsaken. When struck down, you will not be destroyed. So therefore, if in your heart of hearts, you have a passion for ministry, you have a passion to get the truth out, then my advice is be weak in all your adversities. Be weak in all your adversities. In this ministry, you are given over to death. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. How does this apply? Because each and every one seated here from the youngest to the oldest is on a journey. The exact same journey from birth to death. And, and what scripture of course teaches is that life itself passes in a blink of an eye. In other words, in, in light of eternity, it's a blip on the screen, on the radar screen. James 4.14 warns us of the problem or the illusion of permanence. You do not know what your life will be tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I've come to believe that one of the most important things about understanding ministry is that in this ministry, God decrees your fate. God decrees your fate. So I have a theory. You can throw this out, do whatever you want with it, but it's my theory and, of course, I think it's a good one. (laughs) 
I think if we faithfully serve in this ministry, the Lord has assigned specific tasks for us to accomplish. And my prayer, and I would suggest to each one in ministry, your prayer should be, Lord, help me complete all the, all the tasks that you've assigned before I end this journey. So you may die young, you may die old, but when you die, you will have completed all the tasks that God has assigned. That's, that's, that's all that's important. I think of it as a counselor. I think literally that in the providence of God, God has already determined who I am going to counsel two months from now, two years from now, if I'm still counseling, 12 years from now. And it's like there's a long line out the door that I can't see. People don't even know they're in line. And there is a last person. And when I reach that last person, I'm done. I don't know if I'll, I will know it's the last person I counsel, but there is a, there's a final person. So my prayer again is help me to complete all the tasks that you've assigned down to each and every person you want me to counsel before I reach the end. And really at that point, you know, it's like, hey, if it's the last person, then what's the point of hanging around? There's no point. So in this ministry, God decrees your fate. In choosing to enter this ministry, you don't choose a risky life. You don't choose adversity. That, that would be foolhardy. The adversities you will face are completely in line with the vocation of ministry. The adversities prove your calling to this ministry. Understand that in this ministry, in effect, you're sentenced to humiliation and risk. I think one of the most critical skills that we all can have as followers of Christ, but certainly those in ministry, but it's often underdeveloped, and that is in this ministry, you need to know how to grow in adversity. It's one of the most important things that we need to learn. So again, understanding these distinct realities of this ministry in weakness, your spiritual life can actually remain strong. So the third distinct reality is this affliction is preparing us for glory. Verse 16 and 17, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It again bears repeating, no one, but especially ministers, are exempt from human trouble. Of course, Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. So you can believe in this ministry, you are going to have more troubles that you wouldn't have had if you stayed out of ministry. It's your final warning. 
You want less trouble? Don't do this. The outer self, the body from birth to death is wasting away. That's the obvious statement here. But if you look at more of the burden that Paul carried, in addition to his body wearing down, physical things that he went through, there was also, as he indicates, the daily pressures and stresses and burdens of this ministry. In other words, I think what Paul tells us is this ministry wears you out physically, but as Paul says, that while we suffer physically, in addition to, apart from those things, the suffering physically, there's the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. That's such a unique burden, a unique stress. I mean, he actually shares about Titus. Titus didn't show up when he was supposed to show up, and Paul says, my spirit was not at rest. People in ministry feel those kinds of things and feel those kinds of things deeply. So how do we deal with this? Well, what Paul is saying first is in this ministry, always be looking ahead. Now we hear a lot about focusing on the here and now, you know, deal with the things that are at hand, you know, tackle the number one thing on your to-do list. Paul says, look ahead. Charles Spurgeon says, the future must, after all, be the grand object of the eye of faith. The future, after all, must be the grand object of the eye of faith. So, once again, we live in the reality of this ministry. Pain is real, disappointments are real, stress is real, rejection is real. But we live in the reality, this reality, for the glory that is beyond any comparison to anything you experience now. It's just amazing. No matter how bad it gets, we live looking to the future and you can't even compare this to anything that we will experience then. Because what we are experiencing now adds to the eternal weight of glory. There's, there's, there's value in what is happening, value in the adversity. So second, in this ministry, affliction, he says, is light, momentary because of the riches. No one would say that low income, bitter criticism of your teaching, difficult elders, a church split, cancer, a sick child, those are not light and momentary afflictions. But again, looking at Paul, be encouraged. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, I was afflicted in Asia so utterly burdened beyond my strength that he despaired of life itself. That, that verse has been the most encouraging, I think, through 40 plus years of ministry. To know that Paul was burdened beyond his strength. He despaired of life itself. And he felt that he had received the sentence of death. He goes on to say that these things happened so that he would not rely on himself but on God. 
certainly he was not indifferent to pain. His pain was not a little pain. His pain was a great pain. His pain was, I don't think he could ever read the scriptures and say his pain was just a a very brief duration. It almost seems like times that it never ended. I think you can compare your pain in one of two directions. You can compare the seriousness of your pain to how serious is this with what you think should not be happening. This should not happen in my marriage. So you're comparing the pain to what you think should not happen. That it shouldn't happen, or if it is going to happen, it ought to be less painful or not painful at all. And so if you think that way, it's easy to be very depressed. Or you can compare your pain to what is ahead. That's what Paul is teaching. What is a painful life compared to eternal life? What is all pain compared to all glory? The pain is working in us, preparing us for something greater. Third, this ministry is temporary. Verse 18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. more than any other place in this ministry, you need to believe that this present form of this world is passing away. Paul says in Colossians, you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Others around may think you're foolish because you don't focus on advancing your career, building your portfolio, planning for your retirement, or for that matter, planning for your success in ministry. This perspective on this ministry, this kind of perspective that Paul is outlining here, doesn't just happen naturally. In verse 18, he says, we look. You've got to look. It takes effort, it takes no effort, excuse me, to see things that you can see. Just open your eyes, you can see it. It takes effort to have the look, and ministers need the look of seeing what you can't see. So that, remember this, everything that we do in ministry, everything you do in ministry is temporary. Everything is temporary for an everlasting purpose. purpose. So in this chapter, Paul mentions human frailty, but he mentions it in light of God's sufficiency. Ministry is all about Jesus' life and death, not our life and our death. So it's all about not losing heart. It's all about putting your life on the line for the church. Don't minister for success. Minister to honor God. Be faithful to all you do, but indifferent to the success that the Lord may grant you. A number of years ago, I was counseling a guy, and uh, I'll describe him as an NFL superstar. 
He had a Super Bowl ring. I don't remember how many times he'd been to the Pro Bowl. He came to me for counseling. And as we were interacting, he said, whenever I'm on the field, I play to the audience. Meaning that he was always aware that somebody was watching him and he was playing to the audience. His every move, on the sideline, on the field, his every move, he said, I, I, I'm playing to the audience. And literally at the time I was counseling, I was reading a new book by Oz Guinness called The Call. And in there, there's a chapter that Oz titles, An Audience of One. And I said to this star football player, you're playing to the wrong audience. Oz Guinness goes on to say, there's only the audience of one. And if you understand the call, understand the audience of one, then he says, you have nothing to prove, you have nothing to gain, and you have nothing to lose. Except not to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you understand the audience of one, you want to get your well done. Not now, not tonight, but when you stand before the Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we are so fully aware that the ministry that you give us is not our ministry. This is your ministry. It's as if as ministers we can walk along the edge and so easily slip and fall. But thankfully, through your word, we can understand what this ministry is really about and walk safely along this dangerous road And I pray for these gentlemen that they will do so do that in such a way as to glorify you, to glorify your name. And that one day we will be able to stand in your presence, all of us here tonight and here over and over again. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. This has been a production of Clear Note Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.